this is today's reading. Joel 2, verse 18 to 32. The Lord's answer. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea, and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rain, because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have been eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts. The other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no ever, no other. Never again will my people be shamed. The day of the Lord. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood, fire, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. As I've been speaking to several of you over the last few weeks, I've had some great conversations about the book of Joel. I think it's been a really timely book for us as a church that's allowed us to think through what God might be saying to us in a, a time like we're facing now in Hong Kong and really around the world of unprecedented devastation. And what might God be saying to us? What might we need to learn through this? And people have been asking me some great questions. Uh, we've been having some good discussions. And I hope that if you join us in the Zoom meeting at uh, 10 o'clock this morning, you might come with some good questions bouncing around in your head or, or some comments uh, from what we've been seeing. Um, but before we dive into today's passage, I just wanted to clarify one or two things from earlier on in the series, from the last two weeks. So, uh, two weeks ago, you might remember, we were in the first chapter of Joel, and uh, we were seeing that in moments of unprecedented devastation, God's people uh, were called to face up to the harsh reality uh, that was surrounding them, that they were going through. and. Um, to lament before the Lord. So not deny, not distract themselves, but to lament before the Lord and mourn. 
And hearing that, some people ask me, you know, what is the difference between complaining and lamenting? And I thought that's a really good question, actually, because throughout Scripture, complaining is seen as a very bad thing to do indeed. It, it usually precedes all-out rebellion against God and ends up uh, incurring his punishment on us. And um, I think my, my answer then, I, I think it's the right one uh, to give now, is that the difference between complaint and accusation, sorry, complaint and lament, is that complaint is an accusation and lament is an appeal. So, uh, when we complain about the trials we face, we are accusing the Lord and questioning His goodness. And um, it's like we're saying something like, God, you can see I'm suffering. Why are you being so cruel? Uh, and that's complaint. And when we lament before the Lord, though, uh, we appeal to the Lord to rescue us based on His goodness. Do you see? So if we say, God, I'm suffering, and I don't think I can make it without your help, please have mercy. Now that's a very different thing. That is lament rather than complaint. A complaint comes from a place of anger, and, um, and lament comes from a place of devastation. So if you are really struggling in uh, the, the situation that we're facing at the moment, um, if you've been struggling maybe economically or uh, socially or mentally over the last many weeks that we've been in the midst of this, I'd encourage you to lament to the Lord, but don't complain to the Lord. Uh, take your sadnesses to Him, cry out in desperation, and trust uh, that He is good and will hear you. And last week we saw that in moments like this of uh, unprecedented judgment, the Lord is preparing us for the day of final judgment, and He's teaching us to repent. So, uh, we may not be able to say specifically why God has brought this uh, pandemic to us at this moment, uh, but we know that if we respond to it with repentance, it will turn out for our good because we will be more ready to face that day of final judgment, the day of the Lord, as Joel puts it. And uh, we will have learned something of what it is to trust in the Lord when all else is failing, as it will on that day in a far greater way under His judgment. So I hope that helps summarize and clarify some of uh, what we've seen in previous weeks. Um, and now, if you have any more questions about that, Come to the Zoom meeting um, and let's talk about it. But, but now we'll go into our reading for today and um, we'll see that the prophecy of Joel moves. It moves from uh, what the people of God should do in the face of judgment uh, to how the Lord will respond to His people. And we'll see that one, the, the Lord rescues us for His name's sake. Two, the Lord blesses with overwhelming abundance. And three, that the Lord resurrects by pouring out His Spirit. Uh, so that's where we're going through these verses. And uh, so the first thing that we want to think about 
is that the Lord rescues for His own name's sake. So you may remember from last week that although Joel was certain about God's character, he was not certain about how the Lord would respond in this circumstance uh, of the, the day of the locusts that he was speaking into. He said in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, just a few verses before where we pick up today, he said this, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may have pity and leave behind a blessing grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. There is uncertainty in Joel, but it's uncertainty for a good reason, because unlike the false gods, the Lord cannot be controlled. You see, then as as now really, the same as now, most people think of God as a sort of cosmic slot machine. And so, you put the right offerings in, the, the joss sticks, or, or the money, or the prayers, or the good works, or whatever it might be, and the gods will eventually give you what you want. Uh, the more offerings you give, the more tokens you put in the slot, the more likely you are to receive what you've been asking for. But Joel wants his hearers to know that that is not what the Lord is like. The Lord our God is not a slot machine God. We we cannot give Him anything because He doesn't need anything. We can't secure the outcome we want or, or manipulate Him into giving it because He cannot be bribed. He cannot be controlled. And so Joel says, who knows? He may have pity on us. And when Joel gathered the people together and he instructs the priests to cry out to God, how do they do it? If they can't make him any offerings, if they can't give him anything, how will they make their appeal? On what basis? Will they appeal to the Lord uh, based on his character and based on his reputation? We saw last week in verse 17, Let the priests say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, Where is your God? Uh, They ask God for the sake of his own name. His own reputation is on the line here. They point out that they're not just any people, They're His people. Uh, And they're the people that the Lord has placed His name on, the people amongst whom the Lord dwells. Uh, The constant refrain of Old Testament and New, and you'll know this if if you've ever read much of it, uh, because it appears over and over again. The constant refrain is, I will be their God, and they will be my people. The Lord identifies with His people and his people identify with him. And if they are made an object of scorn among the nations, well then, so will the Lord be. He will become an object of scorn 
Uh, he couldn't even protect his people will be uh, what the nations around say, and his reputation will be damaged. Now, maybe this way of praying makes more sense to people uh, from a collectivist sort of culture than from a, a sort of Western individualist culture. Yeah. As I understand it, in a collectivist culture, the actions of one member of the family or of the group reflect on all the others and impact their reputation. So when a child becomes very successful, well, that brings honor to their parents, doesn't it? Uh, oh, your daughter's a, a brain surgeon? You must be a wonderful uh, parent. You must be a wonderful mother or father. And if a child fails to succeed, well, that likewise affects the reputation of their parents and of their siblings as well. It reflects badly on the family. Yeah, but even, even we Westerners understand something of this, don't we? Because otherwise, why would I cringe? Why would you cringe uh, when you see one of your countrymen abroad acting in a way that's embarrassing? Somehow, even if we don't know the person, when I see a, when I see a rude American, or maybe you see a, a drunk Aussie, or you see a loudish Brit out, we, we cringe and are embarrassed uh, because how they're acting somehow reflects on us. And so when God's people ask him for salvation, they ask for it on the basis of his own name for your reputation, Lord. It's a powerful appeal. God is zealous for his own glory. He wants uh, his name to be glorified around the world by every tribe and nation and tongue. And so he responds. When his people lament and repent, the Lord relents. Verse 18 says this, The Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you new grain, new wine and, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. And in our present crisis in Hong Kong, I, I think that Christians can appeal to the Lord on that same basis. Uh, the church is the new covenant people of God. We are the ones who have been bought with Christ's own blood. He has promised that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against his church. Christians are the ones who bear the name of Christ. And so, he has promised that he will be with us to the end of the age. We're his people. We bear his name. And if he were to allow his people to be utterly destroyed, well then, who would tell of his grace? Who would speak of his compassion in Hong Kong? If long-term economic downturn and maybe the scattering and social distancing of Christians in this city cause the permanent closing of our churches, well then where will people hear the gospel message? 
And how will they be saved? Who will call people to glorify the Lord? So I can say to God, for the sake of your name, Lord, rescue me, rescue us, rescue our church. And this week, I want to invite you to pray to the Lord along those lines, that he might relent from the devastation that he has brought, both on the city and on us, and that he might relent for the sake of his own name. That's what we're going to do online twice this week, and I think going forward, uh, we will meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. to to fellowship and uh, talk about what we've learned from the sermons, what God's been teaching us in our own lives, to pray for one another at 10 a.m. on Sundays, and then on Wednesdays at 7.30 in the evening, we'll have a prayer meeting. We're going to do this weekly uh, because it's really urgent for us to pray to the Lord at a time like this. Please, if you consider yourself a member of Resurrection Church, will you join in with those meetings? You can find uh, the, the links to the Zoom meetings in the weekly email update. If you're not subscribed to that yet, go to our website, sign up to it. The, the sign-up form is on the bottom of the homepage. But we'll meet, be meeting that way. We'll be praying together and appealing to the Lord. But I want you to notice Notice that this appeal to God's glory is only effective insofar as our primary identity is as a Christian. So, as a a servant of Jesus Christ, if that's your primary identity, you can make this appeal. And if it's not, well then, you can't. Now, if your primary identity is as a, a businessman or, or woman, a, a teacher or a parent, uh, or, or more importantly, if that's all other people know you as, if that's what they see you as primarily, well then, the name of the Lord isn't going to be affected at all uh, by what happens to you, right? His name isn't tied together with yours. You're not... Uh, seen as one of his people. And so an appeal to the Lord to save you for the sake of his own name, well, it just doesn't hold any weight, does it? But if you are primarily a Christian, if above and beyond your job, above and beyond your family and your social interests, if, if you are a follower of Jesus and others see you as that, well, then what happens to you will reflect on our Lord. Your personal story will be tied to his uh, bigger story, his reputation. And we can then honestly ask God to glorify himself by saving us. What a privilege it is, isn't it? What a privilege it is to know that our story is tied up with the story of the Lord of the universe. Maybe as you hear that, what's going through your mind is something like this. Perhaps I should have been more committed to the Lord Jesus because I'm not sure that uh, my story 
does connect to his. I'm not sure that other people do see me as primarily a, a servant of the Lord. You know, perhaps I haven't lived my life primarily for him. And if that's you, then I want to say to you, now is your opportunity to repent. Now, as this passage encourages us to, is your opportunity to rend your heart and not your garments and return to the Lord. Turn from your sin, put faith in the revealed character of the Lord. For the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And as it says in another part of Scripture, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so I'd invite you to repent and He will receive you because that's His character. Secondly, from this passage, I want you to see that the Lord blesses with abundant, overwhelming outpourings of blessings. The Lord blesses with overwhelming abundance. Now you might wonder, if the Lord relents from His judgment on our city and on us, who knows if, uh, who knows if He will, first of all, but if He will, is He just going to do enough to, I don't know, allow us to continue to struggle? Uh, just enough to preserve His reputation, but being uh, miserly and, and meager with His blessing. Well, that's not how he was in Joel's day. Did you see this? That's not how he treated Israel. As overwhelming as his judgment was, his salvation was even more so. According to verse 20, as suddenly as the locusts descended, they will be driven away. Their only impact from that point will be the stench of their rotting bodies in the wilderness, in the sea. For once they had served the purpose that God had sent them in judgment, oh, they no longer had a purpose, and so they were disposed of. And in verses 21 to 24, uh, we're given this prophetic vision of the powerful resurrection that the Lord is going to work in Israel. The people whose joy was withered away in chapter 1, you remember that? Well, they're now told, be glad, rejoice. They're the wild animals who were starving for lack of vegetation. Well, they're told um, that the green pastures will soon return. The trees that were stripped even of their bark, their leaves and their bark, and they were just white husks. Well, they are again going to bear fruit, we're told. The vines will again grow grapes. And the faithfulness of the Lord will be shown in all of its abundance with rain, abundant rain being sent into a parched sort of geography. Autumn rains, abundant showers, autumn and spring rains, four different words Joel uses to emphasize 
the very things that were destroyed by the locusts, according to verse 24, they are going to return in abundance. The wine, the grain, the oil, it's all coming back and more of it. In the middle of their destruction, when all they could see was devastation around them, Joel was giving them a vision of what the Lord had promised to do, a miraculous revival that God would bring on them in their land. And I think an important question for us to ask, and maybe one that we, we hadn't thought of, but an important one is, where does Joel get this vision? Okay, maybe the Lord is, is telling him directly, and that is possible. The Lord speaks to prophets like that. But God himself did give this vision. He, he did say these things would be uh, true, that they would come to pass in Deuteronomy. Chapter 11, let me read to you those verses. Chapter 11, verse 13 of Deuteronomy. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. The Lord had made these promises long ago under his servant Moses, hundreds of years before. And Joel was seeing that and telling the people, because you repent and relent, the Lord, uh, the Lord will relent. The Lord will hear your calls. And even though you can't see how it's going to happen, uh, we can believe what the Lord has promised to do. If they would only repent and turn to the Lord, He would not only save them, but He would bless them. Uh, he would bless them with overwhelming abundance, more than they could ever imagine. It is a, a promise of complete resurrection. And so what might this mean for us? Well, I think it means at least uh, a few things, uh, but I think it means that this wider judgment that our world is facing, that our city has been facing uh, under the, the protests and now the virus, well, we need to consider how the church too is being judged. At the moment, I think uh, we are being judged as a church. And I think every church around the city and maybe around the world uh, should be thinking along these lines, why has this judgment come and how should we repent? But we can't do the thinking for every other church. Uh, we can only do the thinking for our own. And at the moment, I think, we are reaping some of the consequences of our failures to be the church that God calls us to be. Here are some of the things uh, that maybe we should prayerfully consider as we think about this present judgment. If some of us don't have a deep 
fellowship and friendship with each other over the phone or over uh, the internet uh, right now as, as we're in a season of self-isolation? Is that because some of us did not have a deep fellowship and friendship with one another uh, before the virus? As a small church, we should all know each other. There aren't that many of us. And yet I'm, I'm certain uh, that many of us wouldn't be able uh, to name others. If some of us are spiritually checking out at this point, as we can't gather on a Sunday anymore, is it because many of us may have checked out spiritually a long time ago, even when we had the option uh, to be at services weekly or, or to meet in person or to pray. Though we, many of us, though we, we travel for work, uh, many of us don't commit to a, a weekly gathering even when we're in Hong Kong on a Sunday. Um, our, our Sunday services aren't a priority. The, the midweek small groups aren't very full. Uh, monthly prayer meetings often have a sixth or less of the congregation that came uh, that week to the service. And although I don't know what your personal practice is, I'd, I'd love to hear, but I wonder if many people now are experiencing in a, a much harsher way the consequences of a failure to have a personal or, or a family devotional life. Uh, maybe you could just ignore that aspect before uh, when you had other things to rely on, but now that we can't meet, maybe the the lack of that is felt very heavily indeed. Now, if we are failing to use the opportunities that this pandemic provides us to reach out to our neighbors with practical help and with the message of the gospel, maybe that's because we never even considered reaching out to them when life was relatively normal. As a congregation and as individuals, have we honestly shown urgency uh, or even interest in the task of evangelism. So friends, if this judgment has done anything, it's simply intensifying the things that we should already have known and making them uh, utterly unavoidable, that we are a church that is desperately in need of revival. And the question that we've got to be asking is, where do we go from here? Well, look at the promise that God made his people through Joel. Verse 25 says this, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty of time to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God 
who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. We need to know that resurrection for Resurrection Church is possible. The Lord can repay the years that the locusts have eaten. That's the gospel message that even after 20 or 40 or 70 years of living in rebellion against God, the full abundance of God's saving grace can be poured out on the life of any individual who will turn to Him. And if the Lord can do that for each of us individually, He can do that for our church as a whole. It's what the Lord loves to do as we admit that we've been going the wrong way and we honestly, we we desperately turn to Him. Now, where can we get a vision for what revival might look like in our church? Where did Joel get his vision? From the Lord himself. Just as Joel did, we need to look to the scriptures to see a vision of what our church should look like and could look like if we would only humble ourselves before God. Um, Take his judgment as discipline and ask him to bless us with this sort of overwhelming abundance that he loves to show. But that's maybe a topic for another sermon series. Uh, We won't go into the vision of what a, a healthy church can look like now, but for the moment recognize that the Lord can bring it about. The Lord would love to bring about an abundant blessing. And if he does do that, it will be proof that he is at work in us. Uh, Not that we have accomplished something so great, but that he has done so. Lastly, we need to think about how he would go about doing that. How will the Lord bring such abundant blessing? And the answer is by means of his Holy Spirit. The Lord resurrects by pouring out His Holy Spirit. If the Lord had only relented from judgment, that would have satisfied the prayers of His people. Stop sending the locusts. And if He had stopped, they'd have been satisfied. By promising to restore to them all that they had lost and more so, well, that went beyond what they had asked. It showed the abundance of His grace. But then in verses 28 to 32, the Lord goes beyond what they could ask or or even what they could imagine by promising to pour His Spirit out on the people. Here Joel points to a a restoration uh, beyond the present devastation, beyond uh, the, the crops regrowing toward a time of unprecedented blessing. We see in verse 28, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. 
even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. If, as verse 27 said, the abundant rain and crops were already signs that God was with His people, well then His Spirit's presence amongst them was going to be a sign of a new era of God's presence with His people. A sign that a new era of blessing was dawning. You know, for Israel to have no true Spirit-empowered prophet, that was a disaster for Israel. And there were times like that in their history. But to have one prophet inspired by God's Spirit, well, that was a good time. But to have all people, the young and the old, the male and the female, the slave and the free, to be empowered by the Spirit of God, well, that would be unprecedented. Joel's hearers must have thought, What would a community where every person has God's Spirit poured out on their lives look like? It would have been unimaginable for them. But we can imagine it. Because we are part of it. Joel is describing the church that was future to him but is present to us. And on the day when the church was born, the day of Pentecost recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter went straight to this passage in Joel chapter 2. And he said, today this is being fulfilled. There we're told that when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the, the people from every nation under heaven They heard the mighty works of God in their own language, and they were astonished. And what spirit-given message amazed the people who were there on the day of Pentecost? It was the message of Christ crucified and buried and resurrected, a message which, according to verse 32 of Joel uh, chapter 2, says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, we know that the Lord will again be pouring out His Spirit into our lives, into our church, when the Spirit-given message of salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached, is pouring out, Uh, not just of me, but of every single one of us. When our children happily declare it to their parents, uh, when husbands um, excitedly share it with their wives, uh, when we feel compelled to carry it to our neighbors and our friends and our families, both here and abroad, in every tribe, every nation, every tongue, when older men and younger men rejoice in this message together, and when older women and younger women find strength to persevere from this message, that is when the Lord's Spirit will be pouring out. And this is what I so desperately want to see in Resurrection Church. 
It's what I want to see happening. As uh, even as we cannot yet meet together, I want to see God pouring out His Spirit and this sort of evidence of it. And so that's why I invite you to pray with me. Please, will you pray? Join me on Zoom this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Join me on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. to pray to the Lord who rescues for His own namesake. Uh, To pray to the Lord who blesses abundantly. And to pray to the Lord who resurrects by His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are longing to bless, not so that we can be glorified, but for Your own name's sake. I pray that we would learn the lessons that You would have us learn from this current judgment, uh, that none of us would be left untouched by it and unchanged by You, Uh, but that as we hear from You in it, as we reflect on the sin that we need to get rid of in our lives, uh, that we would begin to see you changing us, changing our circumstance, and pouring out your abundant blessings on us. And we ask it uh, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.